Kids love movies. If you're a young person who can't see or can't see well, Audio Description provides access to the visual images that sighted kids enjoy. The benefits of Audio Description in Education, Beatty Contest, sponsored by ACB's Audio Description Project and the Described and Captioned Media Program, wants those kids to experience Audio Description and then tell us about it. You have a chance to win prizes for yourself and your teacher. Just go to www.badycontest.org, B-A-D-I-E, contest.org, and keep on enjoying audio description. Thank you for calling the ACB Radio and Information Line, brought to you by Xenomedia. 518-906-1820. That's 518-906-1820. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. All right, good evening and welcome, everybody. This is Clark Rockfall, Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for the American Council of the Blind. Thank you to everyone joining us this evening on Zoom, as well as those listening over ACB Radio. Ah, okay, we are back for round two. Uh, last night we discussed our legislative imperative about providing a Medicare demonstration of coverage for Low Vision Devices Act and how we want to work uh, for bipartisan reintroduction of this bill in the 117th Congress in the House and have it introduced on a bipartisan basis for the first time in the U.S. Senate. Uh, tonight, We are here to discuss another one of our legislative imperatives, dealing with transportation. And before I get going here, I want to encourage everyone to register and join us, not only for the ACB Legislative Seminar, but for the 2021 DC Leadership Meetings, which will be held virtually on Zoom and ACB Radio this year, Sunday, February 21st through Tuesday, February 23rd. You can find out more information on the ACB homepage, acb.org, and you can navigate by headings to either news or quick links and find information about the DC leadership meetings, the legislative seminar, and all three of our legislative imperatives for the year. So please visit the webpage, uh, read up, Get in contact with your state and special interest affiliate to plan those meetings uh, with your elected members of Congress. And of course, register, register, register. We are having a tremendous early registration for this year's event. Registration technically closes February 16th. And that's just so we can process the registration and get folks materials in a timely manner but you can still register after that date. It'll just take longer to get you your materials, but please join us. We want to encourage everyone to join us this year. So again, for the legislative seminar, that will be Monday, February 22nd and Tuesday, February 23rd, Uh, providing all times Eastern Standard Time. We will begin at noon both days and go till about 5.30. Um, Then our plan is to have tracks of programming related to various topics of interest to our members and the broader blindness community, as well as for folks experiencing vision loss related to accessible voting, 
transportation, which we'll be discussing here this evening. Uh, everything live, learn, and earn with vision loss. So special education, rehabilitation, and services for older Americans experiencing vision loss, as well as digital inclusion, and of course, health and wellness. We want to sure, ensure that everyone has the tools, resources, and information that they need to get up and get moving, you know, even though it's a, a pandemic still. Uh, we're <laughs> a year in now, but it's it's going strong. Um, ah, okay. And our final session, last but not least, and this is one that I'm really excited for, we have time for our partners in advocacy from the national blindness community. So all of the other blindness organizations uh, working on policy issues important to our members and the broader community as a whole. Uh, we've invited some guests to come and share the work that they are doing. And one of the organizations that will be joining us during that session is the American Foundation for the Blind. And actually, we have a representative from AFB here this evening. Sarah Malayer is AFB's Senior Advisor for Public Policy and Research. Sarah, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing okay. Glad to be here. All right. Sarah is a, a woman of few words, but <laughs> we, we enjoy working with her nonetheless. So. Sarah, rewinding to 2020 and even pre-pandemic, uh, both ACB and AFB identified uh, access to transportation as a critical concern um, and potentially barrier to independence and employment for people who are blind and experiencing vision loss. Can you share with us a little bit about AFB's work in this space? Yeah, definitely. Um, and transportation is is one of my favorite topics to talk about. Um, AFB, uh, a couple of years ago, did a project called Project Visitor. Um, it was a two-part research study that um, looked at the experiences of older adults um, with vision loss and um, their access to transportation and what they saw as some of the barriers to, to being able to get places. Um, and, you know, that I, I think for pretty much everyone on this call, none of the findings are particularly surprising. Um, that, you know, we, we found that services were not affordable and convenient, that scheduling services is far from flexible, and that demand for services um, of all kinds, whether that be private, public, um, uh, rideshare kind of uh, transportation modes, um, taxis, uh, transit, paratransit, um, the the demand definitely exceeds the supply that's available. Um, but one, you know, one of the um, things that we found that was really concerning too was was that there's a lack of knowledge about the providers or among providers about the services that are available. Um, so that that project really got us thinking about, you know, what are what are some of the um, ways that that we can take action? Um, and we've been trying to build a um, uh, an aging initiative, uh, and we thought that the transportation, as it affected aging, but also as it affects employment, um, would be a really good and tangible way 
um, to make a, a difference um, and to build off the research that we'd done. Um, so we were really excited to work with um, ACB on, a, on a, a few projects last year or, or some advocacy last year around um, uh, improving transportation options. And, and one of the things we really focused on was improving access to paratransit. Yes. And for ACB's part, uh, our transportation committee, our environmental access committee are both very active in this space. I'm, I'm sure folks have fond memories of the transportation symposium, uh, the multi-day sessions from this past year's virtual conference and convention, uh, but also Sarah and her capacity at AFB as well as ACB member and my former colleague, Claire Stanley, are both co-chairs of a transportation task force for the Consortium of Citizens with Disabilities, or CCD, which is kind of an umbrella organization for around 100 national disability rights organizations to come together, collaborate, share policy ideas. So it's great to have representation Uh, not only of Claire, who is visually impaired and an ACB member, but also Sarah, who works, you know, hand in hand with ACB and her capacity at AFB on these policy issues to really drive the agenda forward. And in our resolutions from 2020 and 2019 and years before that and before that and before that, we have heard the cries of our members about inaccessible pedestrian signals and how we need accessible pedestrian signals whenever LPI or leading pedestrian intervals is used at intersections so that people who are blind or with low vision can cross safely. We have uh, worked on the resolutions and we have heard our members talk about the nuisance of uh, micromobility and shared mobility devices. We've heard and experienced firsthand what it's like to try to navigate cities with inaccessible infrastructure or paratransit and public transit services that are not useful, um, a headache, a pain in the butt to try to navigate. So for our, on ACB's part, last year, one of our legislative imperatives was to share these stories with our members of Congress. It was the last in-person event held by ACB at our 2020 DC leadership meetings and legislative seminar. And we took a legislative imperative to add accessibility provisions to the reauthorization of the Surface Transportation Bill, also known as the Fixing America's Surface Transportation Act or the FAST Act. And the FAST Act has to be, well, so we thought, uh, had to be reauthorized by the end of September 2020 to ensure federal transportation programs were reallocated, received funding, and could still function. Uh, fast forward to September 2020, um, that, that did not happen. Uh, But what did happen was a one-year continuing resolution. So the FAST Act and the programs therein received just level funding. Um, The programs would function as is 
and they would receive the dollars to do so for an additional year. Um, so that was Congress's way of punting the thorny issues of any amendments or changes, um, anything like that. Punt it down the road a year. Let's get beyond the elections. Let's get beyond funding the government and avoiding a government shutdown. Um, so we are back here in 2021 with a similar but different ask. And Sarah, the reason this ask is similar but different is because in addition to ACB's uh, legislative seminar and meetings on Capitol Hill where we were advocating for these provisions, ACB and AFB were also conducting meetings on Capitol Hill leading up to the legislative seminar advocating for similar provisions. Isn't that correct? That is. We, um, yeah, we, we had a great opportunity to work together um, on, on bringing the, the paratransit concerns um, or some paratransit concerns that people have to, to the attention of, of lawmakers um, and, and ask for a few changes there. Um, you know, I know that we were, we were talking about everything from the ability to make a stop while you're on a ride to um, uh, eligibility, uh, you know, transferring eligibility from one jurisdiction to another. And um, uh, the last one is escaping me at the moment, but uh, (laughs) that, you know, it it was a great collaboration. um, And, and I I thought there were, there were a fair number of, of legislators who were really interested in the, the, the concerns that, that we raised. Um. That is right. And uh, with these lawmakers who became interested in these issues, um, this resulted in introduction of the Disability Access to Transportation Act. Oh, gee, Sarah, hopefully I don't get this wrong. In the 116th Congress, this was H.R. 6248. Yep. Is that correct? That's exactly right. And it was a bipartisan bill, really championed mm-hmm. by Representative Langevin, a Democrat from Rhode Island, but also co-sponsored by an original co-sponsor, a Republican Representative Katko from California, I believe. Um, I think it might be New York. All right. See, that's, that's why you do this uh, with a net, folks. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> Um, we, we can't forget Dina Titus, too, of Nevada. Yes, from Nevada, another original co-sponsor. So the the interesting thing about this bill is that usually we get a bill like this introduced, and it's like, wow, you're going to create a pilot program to provide for more flexible paratransit, um, a rulemaking for it accessible pedestrian infrastructure, um, an easier complaint process, more funding for accessible transportation grants and pilot programs to serve, you know, underprivileged older people, people, uh, uh, you know, minorities, people with disabilities. Um, you know, we, we need to rally the troops on this issue, but Mm -hmm. because this bill was being considered for inclusion in a must pass piece of legislation, um, Sarah, we really didn't have to do that in 2020. You know, we we had great bipartisan representation from significant members of Congress, and they were able to actually include this bill in the House version of the FAST Act. Yeah, it was really exciting that almost the entire bill was incorporated into um, 
the the surface surface retrans surface transportation reauthorization bill, which they were calling uh, was it moving America forward or um, the Moving Forward Act, and uh, you know they made some some minor changes to it, but for the, for the most part it was the the same text, uh, and and that's it it moved a lot faster than most bills that we work on which mm-hmm. is really exciting. Um, and and that's that's because I think infrastructure is a real priority for a lot of members of Congress. Yes. So, and this is the, the same approach that we want to take here in the 117th Congress. Um, the, you know, there, there are some big ticket items that are being proposed right now in Congress, whether that is the you know, trillion dollar, uh, trillion with a T, uh, COVID relief package. There's also conversations about transportation and infrastructure spending, some of which included in that COVID package, but some elsewhere, as well as the surface transportation reauthorization still has to occur by September 2021. So, so Sarah, let's uh, let's dive into this a little bit more about what is actually included. Um, and one thing I do want to add is you, you mentioned that the bill mostly went in the same. Uh, one thing the bill did when the Data Act was included in the Surface Transportation Act, the the funding level for the the bill and the grants and the pilot programs that went up. So we really want to make sure that 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 funding yep. level is included in the the new bill here going forward. Yep, they they increased uh, the authorization that we were hoping for in the for what's called the Section fifty three ten funding, and they put the the pilot program. Um, underneath that funding, but um, they did more than increase it by the amount that we were hoping for this pilot funding. They 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 upped it, I think, from something like $250 million to, to like $450 million. Um, so not, not an insubstantial increase. And um, what's money? What's money these days? I mean, this whole bill was, I don't even know what the title, the, the whole thing for that bill was, but it was a massive, massive bill. Yeah. So this bill, uh, you know, it's not the it's not the holy grail of transportation reforms that that's not possible for us to contain in a single piece (laughs) of legislation. But let's talk about some of the good things this bill does. And Sarah, you've touched on uh, a couple of them already, but talk about the one stop uh, paratransit pilot. Yeah. So this is one that at AFB, we're, we're super excited about. Um, I'm sure a lot of you have experienced uh, that when you get on paratransit and you've called ahead to make your, your um, to schedule your ride, sometimes you need to stop. And for a lot of people, that might be stopping to take a kid to daycare or stopping to, you know, go to the post office, go to the ATM. Um, go to the pharmacy um, and having to wait 90 minutes um, as is allowed in the uh, the regulations for paratransit is is a pretty onerous burden for most people um, and it kind of it, it means that, that either you have to do everything at once or um, some things you just don't do or you you find another way to get done what you need to do. Um, so it would be a lot more convenient if we had the opportunity to 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 stop on in, on a trip. So the the bill would would propose um, a pilot program. So 
it's it's really hard to change uh, the the legislation that governs paratransit that that is the ADA, um, and mm-hmm. then the regulations are put out by the Department of Transportation. And there, and if you touched it, there'd be a lot of com- competing interests. But one thing that we can do is provide funding to incentivize. Um, transportation providers to go beyond what they're required to do and to provide additional services um, to individuals. And so that's the point or the intention of the one-stop paratransit pilot. Um, And so it would allow people to stop for 15 minutes um, and um, it would run 15 different pilot programs in different areas. Uh, It would encourage them not to place restrictions on the the stops uh, or where people could stop. But if it did, it would require them to be very transparent about um, what the restrictions are. Um, And then at the end of a five-year period, uh, they would be required to present a report kind of evaluating how did the program go? What would it take to do this in the future? um, What resources did they use? And so hopefully um, we as advocates and the Department of Transportation could then take that and, um, uh, you know, determine the feasibility of turning this into perhaps a more permanent program um, in the future. And that's that's key, right? We're hearing a lot of stories now about not only large metropolitan areas, but even smaller towns that are rethinking how they provide fixed route public transit services. And as we all know, paratransit is tied to a three-quarter mile radius of fixed route public transit service in a municipality. Um, So this is a way to provide additional funding to cities and towns, municipalities throughout the country in diverse geographical urban, rural type settings so that we can gather data of 15 markets to see how this study is going, um, how it impacts the delivery of service, how it impacts uh, the usefulness for our members, the broader community, the end users. And one of the things that it's most exciting and resonates the most with me, Sarah, is that someone would be able to Um, have a doctor's appointment and schedule a paratransit ride to go home. But on the way home, they'd be able to stop by the pharmacy and pick up their prescription and not have to go home and wait 90 minutes and go back out or go to the pharmacy the next day. Uh, I think something like that or dropping even daily, dropping a kid off at school or picking a child up from daycare, that, that really has the ability to impact the economic opportunity and the independence of our members in the broader community. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know that earlier I mentioned the um, the project visitor research and, you know, just participant after participant said that, you know, well, these services are available to me, but they really aren't convenient. Um, mm. And so I think the hope is is to make it more convenient for people. And Sarah, another thing that this bill does, it it seems a bit uh, bureaucratic or administrative, but it makes it easier to file complaints with the Department of Transportation. Um, So uh, paratransit providers and transportation providers would be required to 
allow the submission of complaints online and link to those complaint forms for the, the, the Department of Transportation. So no need to have to dial by phone or, <laughs> heaven forbid, use snail mail to send in a complaint. You'd, be ha- you'd have easy, uh, readily available access to file these complaints online. Yeah, and which is, you would think that by 2021, we'd have gotten to where we could file complaints easily. But, um, you know, I don't know if they've made any changes. Even the Department of Transportation, as of last year when this bill was introduced, was still requiring, the U.S. Department of Transportation, that is, was still requiring you to print out a form and mail it in in order to file a complaint, um, which we don't find particularly accessible. Oh, there's, well, there's the accessibility and uh, much like you were saying, the usability, the burden, the hassle of filing a complaint that way with our government. Um, another item included in this bill is a requirement to involve the U.S. Access Board and to create regulations for uh, minimum accessibility standards for pedestrian facilities. And a bit of background here, the previous administration uh, implemented an executive order where for every one new regulation, you had to remove two existing regulations. Uh, The current administration has rescinded that executive order And that basically means the access board is open for business again. Um, So there are there are many items where we believe that the access board can be of benefit and provide guidance to the Department of Transportation, the Department of Justice and other federal agencies with regulatory powers and minimum standards for what constitutes accessible pedestrian. Uh, spaces and facilities is one of them. Isn't that right, Sarah? Yeah. Um, and it's uh, it, it's a really um, long, long time in the works uh, regulation and the the need the need for basic standards um, that that can't be quite so easily ignored is it, it's 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 really a you'd think a bare minimum sort of um, uh, idea, but uh, we we we've gone so long without them. There there are some competing standards, and it really would be great um, to know that that when we're we're building sidewalks or improving them, that that we're putting them together in such a way that that people can actually use them um, more easily and accessibly, and that, that all people can use them. And this is certainly something that uh, once this process would begin, ACB AFB our ACB committees and members would be able to uh, be involved in this process. Um, certainly we are, <laughs> you know, we, we have a vested interest in ensuring a, a rulemaking like this moves forward. Geez, Sarah, I think this rulemaking uh, was in- initiated um, back in 2013 before it didn't, didn't progress oh, no. any further. Um, I think so it was it, well before that. You think it was before that? Okay, maybe I'm maybe I'm getting yeah. confused here. Yeah, or at least uh, they started working on it well before that. Sure, sure. And of course, 
you know, we want to work in a collaborative manner with our partners um, to ensure that you know, we have access to um, the the sidewalks as well as crosswalks. That there are also safe places for bikes and scooters to go because they're they're not going mm-hmm. to go away, but they need a better option than either I ride in the street and get hit by a 2000 pound car or I ride on the sidewalk where people are walking. So it's a, it's an opportunity to work collaboratively with all interested parties to move this issue forward. All right. And we already touched on the, the additional funding for the, um, the 5310 grants as well as the pilot programs to identify you know, potential gaps in transportation service. But Sarah, just checking to see if you wanted to add anything extra on those items included in this bill as well. Well, I think, you know, the, the 5310 funding is is something that, that a lot of people across the country, you know, find you probably benefit from and, and don't even know it. Um, the the enhanced funding, it's enhanced funding for older adults and um, people with disabilities. And, and it, it provides this this bucket of funding that both goes to to expanding um, uh, what service providers can do for uh, ADA purposes, and and that's that's a pretty you know that's a, a restricted list of um, accessibility projects. But then it it also requires that some of that funding is used for non traditional um, accessibility projects. So so whether that's um, you know, providing um, pri- private transportation services that are on demand, or um, providing travel training, um, expanding—you know—it's going beyond what's required um, to create accessibility. And so that's what's so cool about that program. Um, and there's a lot of great providers that are that are um, really meeting the individualized needs of their community. Um, and this funding makes makes it possible for them to do that work. Great. Thanks for that, Sarah. And we're getting ready to open it up for questions here. But before we do that, and while folks get ready to raise their hands, Sarah, related to this topic, um, and not to detract from our you know, legislative imperative conversation here this evening on the Data Act, um, but also during 2020, while we were working through this project last year, and as the, the pandemic was underway, AFB did a survey on flattening the inaccessibility curve. And you all received some supporting data related to transportation in that survey, correct? Yeah, we did. Um, so we, had, we, did, we did a survey and it was administered in, in April. Um, but we found that the, the results have have continued you know the findings continue on to the current time um but we had over 1900 respondents um i'm sure somebody on this call um took the time to to fill it out and we're really grateful for that um but we found that 68 percent of the respondents had concerns about transportation um and that's pretty big because i'm sure that there are a number of the respondents who 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 can still rely on their family um, for transportation or or they live in a jurisdiction that that wasn't cutting back services um, so, so more than two thirds um, were concerned about transportation um, 
And, and some of the ways that they were concerned were very COVID related. They were concerned about their, their health and their safety when using all modes of transportation, whether that be transit or taxis or um, Uber or Lyft, um, paratransit. Um, but, you know, one of the, the kind of the intriguing things is they, there's a lot of concern about accessing testing and um, healthcare and really the, the the average response was, I am very concerned about accessing testing. I'm very concerned about accessing healthcare. Um, and I think, a, a, you know, part of that is, is a fear of, of using transportation while having COVID. Um, but also it's indicative of the fact of, you know, there, there aren't many options that aren't shared rides Um or that that don't have some kind of, you know, potential potential health and safety risk related related to COVID that are that are readily available to us and that are affordable and convenient and um, it if you if if we don't drive a car um, and another big concern that came out uh, was was a concern that that a local service transportation provider um, was going to cut. Their services, whether that's cutting the hours that it's available, um, the the area that they serve, um, or the frequency of service during those times, um, and and I think it's also really important to note that that while we ask specific questions about transportation, transportation was an issue that came up in just about every other category as well. So it really was. Um, it was. It is. Has been. Um, a, a major barrier, and and one way that that we're really thinking about this is is, you know, COVID didn't create these problems, um, but COVID made um, problems that existed much worse. Um, and so I, I think definitely talking about experiences during COVID is is can be a really great way to talk about why we need more emphasis on on the accessibility of transportation. Yes, and and we certainly again we recognize that. COVID is not the cause of our transportation woes, and getting beyond COVID will not be the panacea for our transportation concerns, but it does uh, provide in stark relief what is ailing our community when it comes to access to transportation. Um, I also want to put in a plug here as we're discussing this issue for the transportation track on Monday, February 22nd of the Legislative Seminar, where we will have a panel of, uh, of our major airlines discussing how they are ensuring safe travel for passengers and their, and their service animals uh, during the pandemic. Uh, the service animals is a nod to the new DOT final rule on traveling by air with service animals, which I'm sure will mon monopolize the majority of the conversation, as well as a panel on the future of transportation, um, discussing the accessibility of autonomous vehicles and the technology and policies that are helping bring that to fruition. So at, at this time, we'd like to open it up to questions about the Disability Access to Transportation Act, our legislative imperative for the 2020, uh, the 2020 year in the 117th Congress. 
Okay, very quickly, um, to raise your hand, Alt-Y on a PC, Option-Y on a Mac, Star-9 on the landline, and on your smartphones and tablets, it's on the main screen since it's a webinar. I will then allow you to talk, and you should have an unmute button, Alt-A on the PC, Command-Shift-A on the Mac, Star-6 on your landlines, and in the lower left-hand corner of your smartphones and tablets. Okay, first, excuse me, first we have... Terry Turlaw, you should be able to unmute. Thank you. Um, I would, I'm very interested in participating strongly in support of the transportation uh, bills that you've been discussing. And in particular, when we see the kinds of problems that COVID does present, uh, these are problems that, that exist anyway. But um, I know for a fact that my local paratransit disinfects vans once in the morning and does not permit riders to do any kind of disinfecting in between. So there is no disinfecting in between riders in a van. Um, And that has disturbed me from the beginning. Um, And while this is only one small issue, the idea of having more uh, variability in how and more funding for variability in how services can be provided with paratransit is is really marvelous. Um, COVID testing is a major issue uh, for sure. Uh, our local paratransit will happily take you to the door of the uh, testing facility um, or the vaccination facility and then you 90 minutes later if you're lucky you get home. So anyway, I, I would like to know more about how individuals can uh, support this bill and um, and if there are materials that detail the uh, provisions of this bill and that people can really educate th- that I can educate myself about to to know. Sure how to talk about it. Thank you. Thank you. And Terry, where are you from? I'm in Louisville, Kentucky. Okay. So I would recommend getting in touch with the leadership of the, the, the Bluegrass Council or the Kentucky Council. Yeah, right, Line. right. Absolutely. And I yep. am. Yep. And participating with them in the legislative seminar this year, as mm-hmm. well as the meetings on Capitol Hill. Right. The in the written information about this legislative imperative are available on the acb.org website. Um, and really, I, I think if you were to participate in the Hill meetings that your affiliates are organizing, having your experiences with paratransit and transportation you know, pre-COVID and during COVID mm-hmm. and bringing that that personal, uh, those personal stories will really help your members of Congress and the House and Senate understand why this is such a critical issue. Thank you very much. Thank you, Terry. Okay, Margie. Hi there. Uh, Clark, this isn't about the bill. I just have a quick question about tomorrow. How quickly will these podcasts be out? Because I have to miss tomorrow and I find these sessions so valuable. Well, Margie, I have good news. And then I'll, if Jason Castingway can address the, the second issue, 
Um, the good news is that the next session is on Thursday. Uh, so Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday evening at 7.30 Eastern, we will discuss our third imperative. And I know the folks at ACB Radio are doing their best to get these as podcasts and so that we can add them to the website for the DC leadership meetings, as well as share them over the lists. Okay. Chris Bell. Thanks. Uh, Hi, Clark. and Hi, Sarah. Um, So uh, the U.S. Access Board has not been particularly uh, amenable to provisions for the blindness community when it came to the public rights of way guidelines. And um, uh, I'm hoping that in the Disability Access Transportation Act bill, we could either get some uh, affirmative language on issues like accessible pedestrian signals and roundabouts and the like, or at least get some language in the ledge history, because uh, the, the, the last draft of PROAG, the Public Rights of Guidelines, was uh, completely inadequate. Uh, and I think violated the ADA. So I just wondered if you had any thoughts on that. Chris, um, I will add that in addition to the transportation track of our legislative seminar, we will be kicking off Tuesday, February 23rd with a presentation from the new executive director of the U.S. Access Board, uh, Sajan Pavithran. And I, I, in, I invite you to raise this issue with Sachin uh, during that presentation. Uh, I will, and it, I, I knew that, but uh, yep. I'm still talking about the, our legislative effort itself um, because, uh, you know, the, the Department of Justice and the Department of Transportation are public agencies on the Access Board. And the Department of Justice also is responsible for taking whatever guidelines are issued uh, mm-hmm. and passing on them as ADA legal standards. So they get kind of two whacks at it. And uh, it's just been a big problem all along. So I think we need, I think we need some legislative language or at the very least some ledge history language to move things along here. That's my two cents. Sure. And, and thank you for that feedback. I think that we will certainly be able to be involved in the, the process of the, as you called it, the PROAG process for the drafting of those recommendations and those guidelines and regulations. Uh, But that is something that we can speak with the sponsors of this bill who are working on toward reintroduction um, for them to consider. Okay, Derek, you should be able to unmute. Derek? Ah, great. Thank you. Hi, good evening. Hi, Derek. Hi. Uh, Interesting show. Thank you for the information. Uh, Just a simple question. I am curious why um, precedence would be given to something like the 15 minutes of the, like a stop on your way home with the uh, paratransit, because in 15 minutes, the option of getting something done is next to nothing. Uh, I, I can tell you going to pharmacies often, I'm lucky if I can do 25 minutes. 
But that said, what to me would be a much more critical uh, agenda would be to look at increasing the three quarters of a mile limit, because for many, many people, myself included, that can really rule out where we choose to live. Uh, so could you maybe address why uh, there's a three-quarter mile limit and uh, how many of the paratransit percentage-wise, just as a, a rough estimate, of the companies actually stick to a maximum of three-quarters? Uh, I'm in the Orlando area. So, for example, if we exceed three-quarters, they will pay, charge uh, double the amount but they will take us just about anywhere in a tri-county area. Why could we not have that as a, uh, a national sort of, um, you know, law for the paratransits? Do you want me to take that one? Sure, Sarah. Well, this is, this is uh, I certainly hear what you're saying, uh, that uh, the three-quarter limit can, can definitely um, impact where people are able to go. Um, part of why that three quarter mile limit is there is because paratransit service, um, as it was written into the law, was intended to be a um, kind of a supplementary service to, or, or really to just to provide service when when the fixed trans or the fixed route transit, the buses or the trains weren't accessible to people. Um, it it, so so much of the program wasn't built out to to really meet everybody's transportation, all of their transportation needs. It was built to to provide an alternative service um, to the bus and and train. Um, and so that's where a lot of these um, unfortunate limitations come from. Um, and the three quarter minute mile limit, um, that's a great proposal that, that you've put on for, for expanding that access to premium service. Um, what this bill would do right now, I, you know, unfortunately, it wouldn't wouldn't change the law as, as it's written. And, and that's because there, there, there are um, some some pretty powerful voices that that aren't don't feel like the time is, is ready yet to change the law. Um, but but we're we we were able to get the interest of members of Congress in expanding or incentivizing the expansion of a, a one-stop um, program. Um, and certainly, I wish that that the pilots could include um, more service adjustments as well. So point well taken. Okay, we got a lot of hands here. <laughs> sure, and, and I'll just add that it's. Uh, Derek, your your comments echo those that we hear from ACB members around the country uh, almost on a daily basis, uh, especially if they are in rural areas that don't even have access to paratransit service. You know, why is that? Why is three quarters of a mile the, the regulatory or the the statuted limit? Um, so we, we hear you and we will continue to work to expand transportation options to as many people as possible. Okay, we have about 10 minutes. Um, Ron, you should be able to unmute. There he is. Hey there, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, Good evening, Ron. Okay, so I want to dig in a little bit to Section 5310 um, because it's an interesting, you know, the last person asked about expanding service beyond ADA and Section 5310 is really the place where that can happen. And there's, there are some statutory challenges with, with this section. Um, one, 
Um, 55, the money is competitive. It's, it's formula. It's, it's offered at, at, by formula, but then locally it's competed for. Um, it is limited by statute. 55% has to be spent on capital, a.k.a. vehicles, uh, software, things like that, which means only 45% is available for other things. Um, the Section 5310 is by statute not allowed to pay for ADA compliance. It has to go beyond ADA, uh, which means that, you know, which actually I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. But so you have these limitations on this money. Just a statistic, um, $450 million sounds like a lot of money. Um, I think it's about 0.17% of the total bill. Um, I mean, it's a really, really small number. And what I would like to suggest, uh, first off, a couple of things. If we could work to eliminate the, or at least create some flexibility in the cap, the 55-45 split, because what really happens with that capital is it ends up supporting social service agencies who want to buy vans, um, which may or may not benefit people, but they don't benefit expanded service like, you know, like the kind of service that the last person was asking about. Um, you know, we really need to get money there because under ADA rules, it's just, it's so difficult to, to do the kind of pilots that we need to do uh, to expand service, um, both in terms of areas that aren't served and also uh, in terms of, you know, the types of service that are available like on-demand service, which I would argue is even more painful than not being able to have a stop on the way. Okay, um, Frank? Hi there. there Frank Welty from San Leandro, California in the San Francisco area. Um, two quick things. First of all, uh, at some point during the legislative seminar, there has been some time to indicate which particular in, in bills for each of our imperatives and then a list of the key representatives or senators on those committees. And if it, would be, if it would be possible for you to put something like that and get it out before the uh, seminar, that would be really helpful so that we can be sure to target appropriate individuals when we're making our, our contacts. The second thing is, can you just quickly run down the status of the, uh, of the data uh, bill, whether it's been given a number yet or whether it's going to be um, introduced separately or if the plan is to get that language into the, the 2021 version of the FAST Act when it is, uh, when it is uh, introduced. Sure. Thanks, Frank. Uh, or excuse me, Fred. The, the status of the Data Act is that it has not been reintroduced yet. Uh, the, the leading sponsors of the bill we're targeting the end of February. However, it looks like uh, due to the slow start to the congressional year, that will likely be uh, in March that they are able to introduce the bill. So our initial ask is for this to be reintroduced as a standalone piece of legislation and for folks to reach out to uh, Katie Lee, the point person on the staff of Representative Langevin to inquire about being original co-sponsors. But even if they don't get on the bill before it is introduced, that's okay. We need to put these issues on their radar and provide them with the contact information for how they can uh, co-sponsor the bill once it has been introduced. And once it's been introduced as a standalone bill, 
it's really easy for the the members of Congress to you know basically select all, copy and paste this into the larger surface transportation bill reauthorization. Um, and then for your your question about uh, targeting key staff members, uh, that is information that we can communicate to the affiliates, the affiliate presidents and leadership um, for them to have when planning meetings uh, the week of February 22nd. So thank you for that. Okay, uh, phone number ending in 317. You should be able to unmute. Hi, I'm Pat Tusing, Indiana, for the airline and panel, etc. Can someone discuss social distancing in vans? And if we have a right to a two-person row, and per the scooter issue, I hope I'm not off topic. It is impossible to enforce. Uh, maybe we need more help from law enforcement. If someone is struck by a bicycle or a scooter, because these things are all over, and they're all over the sidewalks. Thank you very much. Thank you, Pat. And the, um, the, the airlines are enforcing their social distancing uh, requirements the the best that they can. So I, I don't think that we have the, we can certainly raise it as an issue, but I, I don't think we have a, a path to require uh, what they do in terms of social distancing on a plane. And uh, some states are trying to take measures, including the California Council of the Blind, to require uh, insurance coverage for pedestrians struck by uh, scooters. So there are some creative ideas in the works by uh, some of our ACB affiliates and working with their uh, local uh, representatives and elected officials to try to address those issues. All right, Kitty. And Kitty is the last question of the evening. Mm-hmm. Okay, can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Yes, good evening. Good evening. Um, Very informative program. I just wanted to clarify that that I understand um, the topics that Ron Brooks and his group talked about last summer at the ACB virtual conference, um, especially the one where you would focus on access to places to go versus the whole paratransit thing, um, am I to understand that that cannot be brought up in either of these bills? That's my number one question. And then my second question is, um, is there anything that can be done where you can say request from paratransit um, for your point of origin to destination? You can request they come to the door to let you know that they're there. And I'm talking about the lobby or just the entrance of a building. Um, But in our case, (laughs) they interpret that to mean you still have to figure out when they're there. And it isn't until you walk out the door that they will, in theory, get out of the van and and come to assist you. They will not use coming to the door to let you know that they're there, nor do they have any other way that you can tell that they're there. And on this almost zero degree um, 
wind chill evening with about seven inches of snow, I would not want to be standing outside waiting, um, which is the only way you can often know when they're there, if you can. Right. Does that Katie, make think, sense? Yes, it does. And thank you for sharing that. That is a, a, a common concern that we hear about paratransit. And I really hope that you take part in your affiliates meetings so that you can share those concerns um, regarding paratransit service with your elected officials. And here we are. It is 8.30. I just want to give a, a quick thank you to Sarah Malair from AFB for joining us um, to discuss the Disability Access to Transportation Act. Sarah, thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me here. It's, uh, Absolutely. it's a great conversation. Absolutely. And Cindy, Lucy, and Jason, thank you so much for your assistance here this evening. Um, folks, information about the Data Act and our legislative imperatives are available on the ACB website. And please register and join us for the DC leadership meetings February 21st to 23rd and contact your affiliates about getting involved with the meetings on Capitol Hill to share your personal experiences with transportation and paratransit service with your elected officials. We will be back Thursday night, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, with our third legislative imperative, the Exercise and Fitness for All Act. And as we always say, keep advocating.